Would you open your Bibles with me to the last chapter of the book of Acts? Last chapter. The last couple chapters of Acts actually tell quite an dramatic story. We won't take time today, but beginning at the first of Acts, going through the end, is the story of the early church and how it began when the apostolic period. And at the very end, it's telling the story of Paul as he has been taken If you're familiar with the stories, here's a picture of his last journey. He had missionary journeys in which he transferred out of uh, Jerusalem, then was taken as a prisoner. They had a shipwreck, and he eventually ended up in Rome. And so the story that we're telling and we're looking at today comes from Rome. And so if you are looking at the gospel, I mean, excuse me, the book of Acts written by Luke will begin with verse 17 and just get a little bit of the background here. Three days later, he called together, that's Paul called together, the local Jewish leaders. And when they had assembled, Paul said to them, My brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. He was arrested. So what charges could be brought against him? Of course, of course, the things that they were doing, there were only two religions allowed in the empire of Rome. That was the worship of the emperor. And the second was Judaism. They made a special allowance for Judaism. So the Jews were very interested in getting rid of the new sect, the Christianity. So they're trying to get rid of that. So they would prompt up all kinds of charges in which we saw them do that with Jesus. Well, what are they going to do with Paul? And the thing with Paul was that they were saying he was being sedacious. He was taking and trying to start a revolt against Rome, which we know was absolutely foolish. But they needed something to nail it with him. And so they were bringing up charges with him. And then he was arrested and sent. So he goes on in verse 18. They examined me and wanted to release me because I was not guilty of any crime deserving of death. And the Jews objected. So I compel, I was compelled to make an appeal to Caesar. The reason he could make an appeal to Caesar because he had dual citizenship. He not only was Jewish, but he also had Roman citizenship because he's from Tarsus. So he could appeal to Caesar to hear his case in the courts there in Rome. And once he had done that, he said, I certainly did not intend to bring any charge against my own people. And so for this reason, I have asked to see you and to talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel, which was Christ, the hope of Israel, that I am bound here in these chains. That is why I am here. And they replied, we have not received any letters from Judea about you. And none of our people have come forward and said and reported anything that was bad about you. And so he goes on in verse 22, but we want to hear what your views are. For you know that the people everywhere are talking about this, and notice, sect. We are talking, everybody's talking about the sect that is growing. And so they arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. Where was he staying? He was under house arrest. He still had his chains on, but he was renting a place and he was staying. He was not in the Mamertine prison where he would be put later. But he was in house arrest. So that meant he had a guard with him and he had chains on him so that he could not leave. Today we put ankle bracelets on, electronic ankle bracelets, uh, to keep people where we want them. But in those days they put chains on him. So he had chains around him. And he said he witnessed to them. He witnessed to them. Notice that. He witnessed to them 
till evening, from morning till evening, explaining what? The kingdom of God and from the law of Moses and the prophets. He tried to persuade them about Jesus. And the story goes on and says, some were convinced by what he said, but others did not believe. And so they disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul made this final statement. And now he goes on to quote from Isaiah. And he goes on to say, go to these people, Isaiah says, and say, you will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would do what, says the Lord? I would heal them. I would heal them. Notice that, therefore, he went on and said, therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. And we know that testimony came from when Stephen was stoned in 34 AD, the end of that great 70-week prophecy that came to the end. And Paul, then Saul, was standing there witnessing that. And immediately after that, the gospel then, in the first few chapters, went to the Gentiles For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. And he proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ and with all boldness and with no without hindrances. Now, if you were paying attention, we went from verse 28 to verse 30 and there is Did not read, oops, verse 29. Verse 29. There's a reason. Because in the NIV, verse 29 is not there. But you have it in the King James Version, which reads, And when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had great reasoning among themselves. Find that in the King James Version. But you do not find it in the New International Version, and you do not find it in the newer translations. So it makes a note in my Bible. It made this note. And it said, some manuscripts include here, after he said this, the Jews left arguing. For verse 29. Now we're going to take a little sidestep out of our story for just a moment. There is a general principle that is important to understand when we're reading the scriptures. And that general principle is how did we get the Bible text delivered to us? It's very important to understand that. And the general principle is this. The older the manuscript, the more likely the accuracy to the original autographs What we mean by original autographs are those, the ones that were actually written by the prophet or the apostle. We don't have any of those 
We have no original autographs. So what we have found are copies of copies of copies of copies that have been made and handed down. And so we don't have any of the original autographs. So none of those, none of those existed and have ever been found. That would be great if we could find them. That would be super. Find them. So we look and have from the ancient manuscripts. Now I'm going to ask for some help here. Uh, first, from my first able assistant, first able assistant, yes, to come forward. So come right on up up here. Here's my first able assistant. We thank him very much for his time and being here today. Just come over here and stand right here. Yes, thank you very much. And I'd like you to hold that like that. Very good. So let's let this handsome young man represent St. Jerome. Okay? St. Jerome. Jerome gave us the gift of translating the Greek and Hebrew into Latin. And he came up with what would known as the Vulgate. The Vulgate was a manuscript from around 400. Sometimes he lived in the 400s. So he gave us this manuscript and from which we get the King James Version. Mainly comes almost exclusively from the Latin Vulgate because that was the, what was the approved manuscript from St. Jerome. We thank you very much, St. Jerome, for that. So just stay right there. You're doing a super job. Don't go anywhere. Okay. So... So uh, as archaeology worked and as archaeology came, they began to discover other manuscripts. My next assistant, please. Thank you very much. My next assistant is coming up. So he, as you can see, um, my next assistant, we found another manuscript which is older than Jerome's. It is older. So what happened was that Bible scholars began to say, is there any difference between this manuscript and this manuscript? So they began to compare them back and forth. And they noticed, as they were looking at that, that verse 29 is in the Vulgate, but it is not in the older manuscript. And it made them wonder about it. My next able assistant, please. So then they found another manuscript, which they found lots of them now. Please, thank you. Oh, you're doing a perfect job. Which is even older than this one by maybe a hundred years. And they noticed that in that manuscript, verse 29 existed, but it didn't exist in this one or in this one. So Bible scholars, as they work that through and looking at that, say that somewhere after this one, somebody added verse 29. Ooh, oh, that's terrible. That's terrible that somebody would add a verse in the Bible that was not there back here when the autographs were written. So somebody is sneaking stuff into the scripture that's happening in there, uh, happening. Here's the principle. The principle is the older the manuscript, 
the more accurate they believe it is. Now, when I write a letter, and maybe you do too, I write my letter out, and then I go back, and I look at it, and I rewrite my letter, and I rewrite it, and I go, you know, I, I'm going to put another word in there, and so I add another word, and then I change it a little bit as I go, not changing the meaning, but, but expanding a little bit. Do you do that? So they think that as the Bible came on by Jerome, that by the time the Vulgate came around, that that text was added. Now, people say, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. In Revelation, it says, oh, if you add or subtract, all the plagues will be under you, and all this will be such a great problem. Well, if you look closely, verse 29 in Acts 28 is almost exactly the same as verse 25, which we'll look at in a moment. So that principle happening and going is that the older the manuscript, are you following this? The older the manuscript, the more accurate they think. And so when the NIV came along and was written down here, they looked at all of the manuscripts and they said, if it's not in those, but in here, we will make a note of it at the bottom. But we will say, in order to be more accurate to the original as best we can, we will not include that. We will put it in the bottom or make a note of that. Did you follow that? I would like to thank my assistants very much for their assistance in doing this. You guys did a perfect job. Perfect, perfect, perfect. Thank you very much. So... When came along the Dead Sea Scrolls? And a little shepherd boy, a little um, Arab shepherd boy, threw a rock up there and discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls, which incidentally they've recently found some more. They were able to pull out of those jars the scriptures that were 2,000 years old at the time of Jesus, none of the original autographs, but they were able to roll them out and see that the Bible, the Old Testament that they were reading from, that you can get and read, was exactly like what came out of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Now, here's the point I would like for us to get. And that is, and that is that the Lord will protect his word. And when you really understand how God got his word to us, the Bible you hold in your hand, it is a miracle of God's perseverance because he delivered to us in all the different versions, whether you have the old manuscript, whether you're reading from the Vulgate, whether you're reading from the NIV, the King James, the New King James, or the Living Translation, or whatever one, he delivered to us and protected his word that we might be able to find salvation in Christ Jesus. All right. So in verse 25, we have that same kind of statement in verse 28, but got repeated. Now, unfortunately, some feed on conspiracy theories. And that the idea is that some nefarious thing has happened with these different new versions and somebody's trying to trick us and trying to uh, leave out parts that are important for our faith. No, that's not true. Yes, there are some texts in the King James Version that say things like, I want it to say, because that's the way I believe, and so I like that. 
But our theology was not built on one text. Or it has to be a certain phrasing. Our theology as Seventh-day Adventists was built on scripture, not a text. Lots of texts, lots of things, lots of pull together. We have nothing to be, and we don't need one text said in just a specific way so we can prove our point. Why use another one? Use the other teachings that are there. That's why in there. All right, I digress. So back to chapter 28, would you please? The reason I brought that up is because um, some of us are getting lost on that. And we're being told by others that, oh, yes, yes, this is what happened, and this is all having the great conspiracy. No, it's not. If you want to discuss that more with me privately, that would be fine. So back to Acts 28. Let's pick back up. And so he proclaimed, the Bible says, he proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Look at that. With all boldness and without hindrance. He proclaimed those while he is in chains in a rented house waiting to be beheaded. Because he told us before, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. Two weeks ago, we talked about the believer's prayer. We looked at the latter part of the chapter of Book of Acts, a fourth chapter. And in that latter part, as we looked at it, we noticed some specific things of that happened in the believer's prayer. This was after Paul and John had been, um, Peter and John had been in prison, and now they're out, and they go, and these people are praying. The believers are praying, the church family. And what did they pray about in the last little part? They prayed for boldness in sharing the gospel. They did not pray to, for protection. They knew the risk. But there was no prayer for protection. And we do not find that in uh, Paul's statement here in 29. What are we to understand about that, that? What are we to gather from that? Well, let's just understand what Paul was doing. Paul was there. He was in chains. He, was, he could have given up everything. He could have said, uh, I'm done. I'm bound to the house. I can't leave. I have chains on. I guess my ministry is over. Not Paul. You know, sometimes some of us who think we retire <laughs> think we're done. Paul said, forget it. You're not done. So while he was there, while he was in the chains, while he was in his house, while he has his guard there, he's inviting people to come into his home. When my dad passed away, there was a group of people sitting at the funeral. And um, I didn't recognize any of them. And I went up to them and I said, hi, who are you? And blah, blah, blah. He says, well, we're your dad's Bible study group. And I said, what? He said, yes, every week we have Bible studies at your dad's house. My dad was 95. Still sharing. The beauty of Christ as long as he had breath. Amen. And here is Paul. As long as he had breath, he was inviting people into his home to hear 
And he told us plainly, some will listen, others will not. I grew up with Paul Simon's some of his songs and said, a man hears what he wants to hear, but he disregards the rest. Picks and chooses what he wants to hear. Why do some refuse to hear? Why do they do it? I know we say, yeah, yeah, I'm listening. Yeah, I'm listening. Yeah, yeah, my attention. But in our hearts, we already know, I already know he's wrong. Even before he starts, he's wrong. And so we're really not listening, not participating. It's in our world all around us. Or when somebody's talking, somebody's already, you're already formulating what you're going to answer without listening to it. So conflicts, conflicts that it may conflict with what I'm already doing or believing. One uh, one young person I was talking to one time, and they they said, why do you keep the Sabbath? And I said, well, um, I keep the Sabbath because Jesus kept the Sabbath, and it's taught in Scripture, and and um, blah, blah, blah. and she her response was, "Well, I don't think it's important." And off she went. Was she listening? You see, she didn't want to do that. She didn't want to accept the Sabbath and even spend any time seeing if it's real or true, because she'd already decided that her life was to be like this, and she didn't want it interrupted. And the Sabbath may demand some changes. So she got rid of it. I said, no, I don't think it's important. And off she went without ever looking at it. Others, they have too much to lose, just like the Jews. The Jewish leaders had too much. You have your income, you have your station in life, you have your family, you have your teachings, you have everything online. And there was no room for Jesus to fit into your worldview. And so I had too much to lose, so I can't accept it. Or maybe you have difficulty sharing among your own family. Do you? Sometimes it's hard. I know it's hard. They know you. Warts and all. So sometimes it's very hard to share faith among your family who are non-believers. Very difficult to do. We had a lady, and I talked to her about it before. She knew how to find those who were truly interested in those that were lukewarm. This is a picture. I'm not trying to push Cuisinart here. But the, the idea, the concept I was looking for is some things that are on the front burner and some things are on the back burner. Do you ladies cook that way? Things that you're cooking and you just want to simmer, you put on the back. But things you want to work on and so forth, you put to the front. Do you do that? I don't. I put it in the uh, microwave and say if it's, it can be microwave, do it. It takes longer than 17 seconds, find something else. But the reality is not all are receptive at the same time. Isn't that true? So I, I don't want to make judgments about people, whether, oh, they're rejecting this or that. It may be not their time. They may need to think it over. Maybe come at another time. We all have our own time. All right. Matthew 13, would you find that? This is a fascinating Little addition of a parable that Jesus adds on. In chapter 13, he talks about the sower who went forth and put the seed down. Some fell on the good soil. Some fell on the rocky soil. Some fell on the bad soil. You know that parable if you've read that. But then he continues on, and then he shows up with this other one. Very similar. Verse 24. Matthew 13, verse 24. And Jesus told them another parable. He said, the kingdom of heaven... It's like a man who sowed good seed in his field. 
But when he, but while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and showed weed, uh, sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. And when the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. And the owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did these weeds come from? That's my problem in my yard. And the enemy, he answered, and the enemy did this, he said. The servants asked him, did you want, do you want us to go and pull them up, pull up the weeds? He said, no, which I wish I had this option. No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you might uproot the wheat with them. So let them grow together until the harvest. And at that time, I will tell the harvesters, first, collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring them into the barn. See the illustration there being that he would ask to have that, ask to have those things grow together. Because you never know when a person's time will come for them to decide. And it doesn't all happen at the same time. You may be in that spot yourself. You may be thinking, well, am I or am I not? Am I in or am I out? Paul then spoke with boldness, yet with patience. We need to speak with boldness yet with patience. And I believe that is led by the Holy Spirit to do, to minister, to do that for us. And then all of a sudden, verse 28, in chapter 28, Luke abruptly ends his book. Abruptly, boom. Just simply saying, he proclaimed the kingdom of God And taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with boldness and without hindrance. That's what he did. In 50 years, in spring, 50 years after Jesus' crucifixion, they took Paul out and beheaded him. Greatest Christian missionary that ever lived. Great theology that came from Paul. That great leadership of that man came and all he said was the last part was he spoke with boldness and without hindrance so I ask about us for us to speak with boldness and yet with patience that we look for the Holy Spirit to lead us to teach folks who were willing those who are on the front burner, but not to throw out those that are on the back. To be patient with people as they grow in Christ. For it doesn't all happen in a moment. It takes time. Dear Lord, I thank you for this story of Paul. It is truly a thrilling miracle to see that Paul stayed faithful to you, even though he was in chains, waiting for his death. 
But he preached, shared, taught Jesus and him crucified with boldness and without hindrance. May we also do that, Lord. May we be led and sensitive enough to your spirit to know when to speak and when not to. May you awaken us to the opportunities around us for people who need to know you as their Savior will come into a relationship with you. We ask that you humbly teach us that. In Jesus' precious name.